Let's take our Bibles together, please, back to the book of Colossians as we go verse by verse through this book of the Word of God. And we are together at Colossians chapter 3, and we've arrived at verse number 5 and following. And now as you turn to your place and as we read the Bible, I want to remind you that uh, I don't write the Bible, but I'm commanded to preach it. And if you do that, you have to deal with whatever it says. So this morning, the message from the Bible, that which God said, you won't find preached in any of the progressive or the liberal churches because it's not a feel-good subject, okay? But if we just preach what feels good, we're going to feel bad. (laughs) And feeling's not what it's all about anyway. We won't know what God said. We need help. So this morning's message is about the wrath of God. Okay? And that's in our text. And God tells us why he is angry and for what he is angry. And it tells us how to think about that and what to do about that. Now, I would preface all this to say this. If God is angry with you, you can change that circumstance. It's not as if God delights in being angry with people. That's, that, that's not his desire. It's just like the truths of hell. Hell is a real place. But God doesn't want you to go there. But you will go there if you don't receive his son. So that's not his fault, okay? So God is not the boogeyman. God is not a bad personality. But if he did not have wrath... He would be just as perverted as humanity. And so God is angry about things. And you get angry about things. And there are things you should get angry about. Usually, we get angry about the wrong things. And we don't have sufficient anger for what God is angry about. So... The wrath of God. Would you look with me in your Bible at Colossians 3. We'll start reading in verse. Well let's just read verse 1. We'll have some positive things in those verses. Verse 1 says. If ye then be risen with Christ. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth. For you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake... The wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked 
sometime when ye lived in them. So the Bible said in verse number 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Cometh. Now that is a present tense word. There are some people that say that God isn't mad anymore. He was mad in the Old Testament, but he's not mad anymore. Or he couldn't be, or he wouldn't be. That's a wrong statement just because the Bible said in verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh. That is a present tense word. Hold your finger there and go to Romans chapter 1. It, the wrath of God ju- does not just come for these things that we have read, but it's a very present tense thing for many other things as well. Romans chapter 1, we definitely are not in the Old Testament when we read Romans 1. And the Bible said in verse number 1, or excuse me, verse number 18 of Romans chapter 1. Look at it with me, please. For the wrath of God is revealed. That is present tense, is it not? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I will give you one Old Testament verse to read because I, because of these two verses, I know it's still in effect. Look at Psalm chapter 7. Psalm chapter 7. We would be told by people that do not know God and do not know the Bible that God is never angry with humanity. And that is just, that's false. That's a lie. Psalm chapter 7, the Bible tells us this in verse number 11. Psalm 7 verse 11, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Man, what a verse. So the wrath of God is a factual understanding throughout the Bible. The wrath of God cometh. Now, this is what most people think. Well, God will give me a break. He won't be mad at me. He'll be mad at other people, but certainly he couldn't be mad at me. Because I'm such a wonderful person. Certainly he'll give me a break. You know, that Bible verse that's so probing for all of us. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. People need to quit thinking that God's going to give them a break. The wrath of God cometh, the Bible says, upon the children of disobedience. That is in our present day. I think many things that you see in our society is a result of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now there is coming a day that's going to be a lot worse than this. You can hold your finger there when you go to the book of Revelation. You, you, why is the book of Revelation in the Bible? Well, it tells you how things are going to end up, does it not? And you need to know how things are going to end up. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 6 
There is coming a day where His wrath will be known across the whole world. Now, you're not living in that day yet, but even though you're not living in that day yet, does not mean that the wrath of God still is not coming presently upon the children of disobedience, because it is. But there is coming a day where everybody will see the wrath of God upon this earth. He, he calls it, verse 17, if you look at Revelation six seventeen, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? This is what we call the great tribulation period of God pouring out His wrath upon the world. You say, well, how do we know that we're not there yet? Well, all you have to do is just read the verses. Number one, verse number 12, the sun is not black as sackcloth as hair. If you're ever tempted to think you're in the tribulation period, in the daytime, just look up and if the sun's not black, you're okay. Look at the next phrase. And the moon became as blood. These things have never happened in the history of humanity. But they're going to. Look at verse number 13. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. This has never happened. But when God gets completely angry, He will demonstrate that. Look, verse 14. Heaven departed as a scroll and is rolled together. Watch it. And every mountain, every mountain on this planet, and island are going to be moved. When God's day of wrath comes, everything is going to move. Not just an earthquake in Sandra's fall. God's going to move the whole planet with his wrath. And the Bible says that people are going to hide themselves. And they're going to say, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. Verse 16. That's another way you know. You know they're going to see his face. They're not just going to be scared because of all of the things that are coming on the earth. They're going to be scared because who they see sitting on the throne of heaven. God is going to give, he's going to give the appearance to the whole world of the lamb on a throne. And they're going to be scared to death. And they're going to say, fall on us. We want to die. We, we, We can't take the wrath that's coming. This, this is all through the book of Revelation. The day of His wrath is surely coming upon this earth. And just because that is a future day does not mean His wrath is not presently coming in the lives of people. Look at Revelation 14. I I think we need to just continue to read some of these verses so you'll have a a good understanding about the wrath of God. The Bible said in Romans, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 10. Revelation 14, 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. He's talking about God's wrath as being a cup, you see. And the cup just gets fuller and fuller. Look at verse 19. Revelation 14, 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. Verse number 7. And one of the four beasts uh, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. Now this is what happened. God has a cup. He has a cup of wrath. 
And the longer humanity goes, that cup of wrath just gets fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller. And I don't know where it is right now, but I would think it's getting closer to the brim. And when it gets full, the Bible says he's going to pour it out. He's going to pour out on the face of the whole planet. God is not just sitting idly by watching humanity in their sin and depravity. He is getting angry. He's getting angrier by the day. His cup is getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And it will culminate with the coming of His Son. Look at chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. You know when Jesus is coming back to this earth... He's not coming like a baby, and he's not coming as a sweet, uh, kind friend. He's coming back angry. Most people don't know that. Most people don't even believe God gets angry because they're perverts. And they don't believe that anybody should be angry at anything I do or say. Revelation 19, the Bible says in verse 15, Of course, this is the coming of our Lord. It started up there in verse number 11. But verse 15 says, Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now, that's the day that's coming. You said, preacher, that scares me. If you're saved, it shouldn't scare you. If you're born again, you ought to rest easy because the Bible says, God hath not appointed us unto wrath. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God's not appointed us to wrath. That's not what he did for us. He has delivered us from the wrath to come, this evil, wicked day that's coming, this Pouring out of God's wrath on the world. That's another reason why people that are saved are going to be gone. Because they won't experience the pouring out of that wrath. Because we are delivered from that. Now if you're not saved, you're not going to be delivered from that. But if you go back to our text. The wrath of God, the Bible says, against the children on the children, on. <laughs> Look at that one more time. Verse number 6. Colossians 3, 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on. <laughs> In other words, he's not just mad at what they're doing. His wrath is on them. Y'all reading that with me? You know how many people in our, in our world think that they're getting away with what they're getting away with? Nobody gets away with anything, folks. No. Just because God doesn't pay on Friday doesn't mean that he didn't. Now, now here, here's, let's, let's go through this text. Verse 6, he says, for which things sake. You see that in the Bible? So he's referring to the things in verse 5. Am I, am I, am I right? So here's a question. What makes God mad? Is that a good question? What makes God angry? Aren't you glad that God tells you what makes Him angry? <laughs> you know, so, some of you may have grown up in a home. You, you may have had uh, uh, not a, a very nice uh, mother, father, and you didn't know when they were going to go ballistic on you. 
You know, everybody doesn't grow up in a good Christian home. Everybody didn't grow up uh, with a godly father and a godly mother. And there are some children who grow up at home, they don't even know when to breathe because they don't know when the hammer's going to fall. You know, God's not like that. God says, I'll let you know exactly what makes me angry. So if I get angry at you, whose fault is it going to be? <laughs> this is what makes me angry. For which things sake. The wrath of God cometh on the children of this. Well, what things are they? Let's look at verse number five. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Here are the things. Now, again, I already read Romans 1. There's a whole lot more things in there. But now, he points these out on purpose. Okay? Fornication. Fornication makes God angry. Angry. The Bible says that every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Fornication is not something that you can commit with your eyes. It is a bodily sexual sin that defines our society. It's on every billboard, your commercials, even on your football game days, sell fornication. It's a constant advertisement. And God says, I'm angry about it. So here's a question. If God gets angry about it, why don't you get angry about it? It's not an affair. It's fornication. It's not you fell in love with somebody else. It's fornication. It's not sowing my wild oats as a young person. It is fornication that makes God angry. It's not living in an alternate lifestyle. It's fornication. And by the way, there are many types of fornication. There's not just one type of fornication. And I'm not even going to get into all of them because I don't even want to talk about how filthy people are. But fornication does not just, well, I'll just move on. God's, can you imagine if God sees and knows everything that goes on this planet? I wonder how many people fornicated last night. He said, oh, well, God, it makes him angry. Because you know what? The body is not for fornication, the Bible says. It's for the Lord. Your body belongs to Jesus. Why? Because he bought it. He paid for it on the cross. And humanity does not get to do whatever they want to do with their body. God says, I'm I'm angry about that. And by the way, marriage, one of the reasons for marriage is to help human beings avoid fornication. Now, if that's the only reason you get married, that's probably dangerous for you. Because there are other, (laughs) there are other traps besides fornication in life. 
But what is a good barrier against fornication is a good marriage relationship. Guys, guys, I'm telling you, the devil tries to destroy good, close, intimate, regular marriages because he has a plan for you. And close marriages are a barrier against fornication. Are you listening to me? That's why you ought to stay close. Stay regular with each other. I'm telling you what, the devil knows his plan and he works it so well. Well, that's one thing. He, he gets mad about that. that. That's not verse number five. I, I told you, this is not, this, this won't hit, I won't get a lot of likes for this one. I know that. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you what makes God angry. He says fornication, then he says uncleanness. That is such a general term, uncleanness. What a dirty world we live in. People are so dirty. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness. We live in an unclean society. The Bible says, we read it in Romans chapter 1, where we were there in Romans chapter 1. I'll read it for your hearing in Romans 1, verse 24. The Bible says this. He says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God says, I'm sick of you. I'm going to give you over to your own lust. You are unclean animals. People live like dirty animals. But God didn't make us to live that way he didn't make us to live like hogs and dogs and when human beings become so unclean in their life God just gets angry now if you study the Bible about if you you just took a concordance and you ran the word unclean in the New Testament you know what you would find usually it would be referencing an unclean spirit which is a devil You know why our world is so unclean? Because we have a devil-possessed world. When devils get in people, the devils make them unclean. Makes their bodies dirty. You know, when I see all these people that are all tatted up, I just, it looks dirty to me. It's like, can you wash that off? You can't wash that off. Why do they do that? I think devils are causing people to do it. It's not natural for you to brand yourself like an animal. It's not natural. It don't even feel good. Something you cannot even remove later. Dirty. The dirtiness of, of drug abuse. Guys, you, I guess you read, the governor of California had to clean up the streets of San Francisco because the Chinese premier was coming into town. You know, you know what they don't do on the news media? They don't take their cameras downtown San Francisco and let them see all the filth. And by the way, that is not poverty. That is sin. 
Those people, if they wanted to, they could have government housing. They could have government food. They like living in uncleanness. When, when my wife and I went to Hawaii, we were shocked at how many homeless people there were. And they're homeless not because they need to be homeless or, 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 or the government will. The government will do everything for them in Hawaii. If you're homeless in Hawaii, you want to be homeless. But they like the dirty life. Do you know how much defecation is on the streets of San Francisco that they had to clean up? People living like animals. Where does that unclean? And God looks down and makes him, makes him angry. The dirty lives. And, and that could cover a million things. But when man who was created in the image of God and for the glory of God lowers himself to a dirty position, it, it just makes God angry. Uncleanness. He gives another word in our text. There's five of them. Fornication brings the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Uncleanness brings the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Inordinate affection. Now, what does inordinate mean? The old 1828 dictionary says an inordinate affection is an irregular affection. It's not normal. An inordinate affection is disorderly, it's excessive, it's immoderate. Listen to this definition. It is, an inordinate affection is not limited to rules or usual bounds. In other words, an inordinate affection is, I have no limits, I'll do whatever I feel like doing, whatever I want to do. There are no boundaries. That's the world you live in. 2 Timothy calls it, in chapter 3, verse 3, he calls it without natural affection. Romans chapter 1, again, because there's so much in that chapter about the wrath of God and, and about where man is in his heart. Romans 1, 31, I'll read it to you. The Bible says, without understanding covenant breakers, without natural affection. And you know the context of wrong. It, the inordinate affection is this woman is burning in her lust toward another woman and this man toward another man. And God says, that is an inordinate affection. I didn't make you to do that. That is outside the bounds. That's outside the rules. And I'm angry. Angry about it. Oh, you're homophobic. No, a phobia is a fear. Get your words right. <laughs> I'm homo-hating you. You say, well, we have no right to tell anybody who they can love. You're nuts. God even tells us as Christians, we can't even love and marry somebody that ain't even saved. He's got every right to tell you everything. He made you. Well, I just think if somebody loves, that ain't love. That's burning in your lust of an inordinate affection. And we better preach that and tell that from the cradle, amen, until they get out of our house because it is taking the whole world over by rampage. And I'm telling you, it's not just trying to secure our normal lifestyle. God is getting more angry by the day. Inordinate affections make him angry. When a man wants to wear a woman's clothes and a woman wants to wear, God gets angry about it because that's not natural. 
when I want to look like a reptile instead of, that's, that's not that's an affection that's weird. When I want to start cutting off body parts and changing my body with chemicals because I can't, because I want to be somebody, that is an ordinate affection. And, and it's not just you making your choice. God gets angry about that. Are you seeing it? In or, he, 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 the wrath of God is on people with an ordinate affection. But, but it's not just those people. When I start preaching, that's your hobby. It's not my hobby horse. It's, it's an inordinate affection for you to care more about the planet than you care about babies. It's not natural for people to hug a tree and not hug a child. There's something weird about that. There's something out of bounds about that. You're going to save the planet? You're going to save the rocks? These people think it's wrong to eat an animal. I, I just love my animals. I do too. <laughs> oh, you, you're a mer- You know, people, there, there are a big majority of people on this planet that think if you kill an animal for food, you're a murderer. A murderer. They would prosecute you and put you in jail if they could. Why? Because they have an affection for an animal that they don't have for a person. It's inordinate. It's not just in one area, guys. It's, it's all through. And God gets angry. There are, I tell you what, there are people, there are people that spend more time and money on an animal yep, you're right. you just kiss me, boo-boo. <laughs> guys, and if I wasn't a dignified preacher, I'd even go farther than that, but I'm not going to. We live in a wicked world, I'm telling you. Inordinate affections. It makes God mad. Oh, God's not mad at people. You made, a, you made your own God. For these things sake cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. There is no decency or normality in our society. Now everything is outside the rules. And this inordinate affection, remember that word verse 5, look how it contrasts to verse 2 of our text. Colossians 3 verse 2. Set your, what does it say? Affection on things above, not on things... It tells me, you can put your affection on whatever you want to put it on. You can put it on some weird stuff, man. Or you can put it on God. Here's the principle. If man's affection was on God, it wouldn't be on all this unclean stuff he's involved in. He didn't think about God. Let's get another word, verse 5. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. I just tell you what, I don't like King James Bible because it's got hard words. Those words are in there to teach you something. God defines a whole lot of the things that you and I do with a big vocabulary to describe them. Concupiscence. What is concupiscence? 
it, it's funny. You know, the new generation, they, they have to, they know a whole lingo that I don't know. I have to learn words. First time I heard the word bougie, I thought it was something you jumped up and down on. I didn't know what that meant. You don't need, see, Larry still don't, he don't know what that means. Guys, you know what people do? They hear a word that they don't know, and then they go find out what it means. Especially if other people are using it, so they Well, God's got some words, and you might want to learn what they mean. Concupiscence, the Bible says, is a lust in another text. He talks about the lust of concupiscence. It's a desire. And if, if I just boil it down for you, it's a hardcore lust. You know there are different kinds of lusts. There are things we desire, things we want. There are lusts that are soft. That's where that word lascivious comes. It's just soft and smooth. Concupiscence is hardcore in your face. Raw, animal-like lust. Evil. I'll describe it gently to you. People that have a desire for someone else's blood, bloodthirsty people, are given to evil concupiscence. You know, there are people that are just desirous and wanting just to, just to kill somebody and hurt somebody. Oh, by, by the way, these lusts, just because they're not acted on, does not mean they're not on the inside. Evil concupiscence? All you would have to do is pull up some of the uh, horrendous descriptions of what happened in Israel, and you will see evil concupiscence. What man desires to do to another person. Doesn't matter if they're a female, doesn't matter if they're a male, doesn't matter if they're dead or alive. Are you listening? I'm talking about hard, core lust that is evil. Way beyond just rape and murder. Can't even talk about some of it. Man is capable, and it makes God angry. The pedophilia in our land. That's, that is evil concupiscence. The pornography industry you can put one word on it, concupiscence. Hardcore lust feeding the brains of people. And God is angry. So maybe you need to think about that the next time you watch it. I'll give you the last one here in this text. Covetousness. Which is a dot. You know what? It's almost like most of us in here were taking a pretty good break. (sighs) 
I'm not on the porn trail. I don't have inordinate affections. I'm not a trans or a homo or I'm not fornicated. And he just had to say covetousness, didn't he? Makes him angry. The opposite of covetousness is contentment. The Bible over and over again says, be content with such things as you have. And we can look down our nose and say, look at all these wicked people in this society. God is mad up. And God is mad when I'm not content with what he's given me too. Thou shalt not covet somebody else's wife or his house or his animal or anything. And he put that neighbor thing in there on purpose. Because you're always looking over the fence at what somebody else has got. So, well, I wish I had that. Why don't I have that? And God's getting mad. Is what I've given you not enough? Why why is it never enough? Why is the life God's given us, why is it never enough? Not content with my life. Not content with my relationship with God. Not content with the church. Not content with my Bible. Not content, amen, living in the freest country in the world. Not content with my family. I'm just not happy with anything. I just wish I could change everything. And God says, for these things coming, the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. Covetousness is idolatry. It is just that Old Testament idolatry in a different form in the New Testament. You're wanting something. It may not be a statue. It may not be a picture. But it's something. Else that your heart is after instead of being content with what God's given you. It makes him angry. Have we ever lived in a more covetous society? Jesus said, Beware of covetousness. So God's angry right now. He is angry for these things. Now, who's God angry with? Look, look at verse number, number six again. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now that phrase is mentioned two of the times in the Bible. Would you hold your finger right there? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number 2. Hold your finger there in Colossians because I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a a phrase right of our text, just, just a second. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience. So the children of disobedience are people that are not children of God. They are controlled by the spirit of, of Satan. Drop down and look at chapter 5 of Ephesians. Ephesians 5, verse number 6. Let no man deceive you 
with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And he's showing the contrast between a child of disobedience and verse number one, the dear children of God. So the, so the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience and these people are not children of God. They've not been born again. They do not have a new nature. And the wrath of God is not just on them because of these things that they are doing. Listen to this verse very clearly. We quote John chapter 3 verse 16 all the time and rightly so about God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. But we fail many times to quote the last verse of the chapter which says this in John 3 36. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. Hallelujah. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Anyone that does not believe on the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God says, my wrath is on you. It doesn't matter what else you do or don't do. Because you're a child of disobedience, you will not Believe my son, you will not obey the gospel. You will not receive the death, burial, and resurrection of my son for, the, for, for your sinfulness. And if you've not believed on my son, my wrath abides on you just for not believing on my son. Are you, are, you, are you with me? So the wrath of God is on the children of disobedience. And so every saved person takes a big sigh and says, Phew, he'll never be mad at me. We're in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Go back to Colossians 3. Now watch this. He tells us in verse number 5, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. He's saying, if you're saved, if you're risen with Christ, if you're really dead with Christ, verse 3, you better be killing these members that are capable of doing the same things that the children of disobedience are doing. Watch it. Verse number 7. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Before you got saved, you lived in all that mess. And now you don't live in that mess. You live in Christ. And so there is an assumption that this is not your life anymore. Well, then why do I have to mortify my members? Back to Ephesians 5. Watch it. Ephesians chapter 5. He told us there, same thing in verse number 6. No man see you vain, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of this. Watch well, it, preacher. I'm a child of God. Glory to God. I'm saved. But look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Verse number 1 said, Be followers of God as dear children. Walk in love. Verse 2. Look at verse 3. But fornication. Think I've read that before. And all uncleanness, I think I've read that before. Or covetousness, I think I've read that before. Look at it. Let it not be once named among you as becometh the saints. It shouldn't be named among us. But too many times it is. 
And it's not just the fornication, it's also the covetousness. Covetousness is also an offense that is worthy of being kicked out of the church of Jesus Christ. That's in the Bible. So here's the thing. So, preacher, God can never be angry with a Christian. I read a bull, billboard. I was, I was preaching in Florida some time ago. There's a huge billboard on the side of the road that says, God is not mad at you. I thought, I wonder who's reading that. But then I got to thinking, Lord, are you mad at me? God never gets mad at Christians. No, he just dropped Ananias and Sapphira there because he loved them so much. And he was pleased with them. I love you so much. Die. You think God was a little angry at what they did? No, that's why he says, be not partakers of them. Don't be partakers with the things they do. And don't let God get angry at you as, the, as a father does. I had a good father, but he, he got angry at me if my life wasn't right. It was a different kind of anger. It wasn't anger of destruction. It was an anger of correction. But we can commit sins unto death. You're, you're telling me that God gets angry at all these lost people for committing fornication and he doesn't get angry at saved people that commit fornication? What planet are we on? God gets angry at people having inordinate infections out there, but now that I'm saved, I can do whatever. That, that's an inordinate infection itself. Be not therefore protectors of them. Don't... Don't do things that make God angry. No, he's not angry with you every day like he is with the wicked, but he can get very displeased with his children and get angry, though he loves us. How many parents in here don't know what I'm talking about? I love my children dearly, but I have been angry at all of them multiple times and had a reason to be. And it's not a happy day when dad is mad with the child. But I am thankful that the, that the Lord Jesus Christ, remember that cup of wrath we talked about in Revelation? And God put all his wrath in that cup for mankind. And Jesus said, I really don't want to drink that. He not only drunk your sin, he drunk the wrath of God. He became your substitute. He took upon himself the wrath of God for us. And so now I can have a loving relationship with God through his son. But he tells me I better mortify my members which are upon the earth. You better kill that stuff that makes God angry. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Kill it. By the way, mortifying your members, I give this and I'm done this morning. Mortifying your members is not just having good enough self-control and a bold constitution to say no to sin. Can I ask you a question?
Can I help you with that? There is none of us in this room that are powerful and strong enough to resist temptation. The devil's got a temptation that'll take you to your knees. Every single one of us. You say, what do we do? Romans chapter 8 verse 13 says this. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You know the only way to destroy those things in our life is not through having a greater will to do it. It's got, we've got to have the fullness of the Spirit of God because if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And our problem is not that we don't have the determination to say no to sin and temptation. The problem is we're not filled with the Spirit of God that keeps us and gives us the power to overcome all those things. All those things can be you. And all those things can be me. If not for the good Spirit of God controlling my life and your life. So we better yield to the Spirit of God.